0: How many people just – you understand that God's lo, God loves you. You don't understand how he loves you, but you know he loves you. You know that God, through the cross of Jesus Christ, exemplified true love for you, a love that was greater than your sin, a love that was greater than your trespasses, that God genuinely loves you. How many people know that today? How many people know that he, he considers you his child if you are in Christ? That is good news, that is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is not just God, but that He's God who has become a man and died for our sins. The gospel message is not the beginning of Christianity. It's the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end, it's the, the culmination. It's the story. We never graduate from the gospel. We never go, we never start with the gospel as though that's the play school edition of our faith and then we move on later. No, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the message. The gospel message of Jesus Christ, the good news that he has died for us and has conquered sin, Satan, and death is, is the epitome of our faith. There is no greater message today. There is no greater word today. There is is nothing beyond that that God has to do nor will he do because that is the biggest, greatest thing that was separating us from him was sin, and he has defeated sin. And so today I want to remind you that that what we are endeavoring to do is not start with the gospel and move forward. We are endeavoring to make the gospel our life. We are endeavoring to, to... Understand the gospel, preach the gospel, live the gospel. And so today I want to to remind you not only that God loves you, but because God loves you, there comes times of rebuking and correcting. Now, rebuking and correcting, that is someone, something, some circumstance checking you because you are in sin is a good thing. Now, it may not feel like a good thing at first. It's going to make you angry if you have an issue with pride. It's going to make you retaliate. It's going to make you uh, lash out at the person who's bringing that correction. But at some point in time, we have to work through that and get to the actual uh, the brass tacks of the issue. Am I in sin? Am I in trouble? Am I doing something I ought not to do? Or is there something I should be doing that I'm not doing? And that's the big idea behind our scripture today. Turn to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We're going to be done with the book of Galatians in just the next couple of weeks. Um, The the endeavor of Paul, I'm using that word a lot to say, the plan of Paul, God using him, is to bring the gospel back to Galatia. The gospel had been preached there. And men tried to build on top of the gospel. They tried to add to it and perfect it and make it better. And all they did was just ruin it. Where I lived in California, someone had a – um, and hopefully they don't listen to this online. That would be funny. But they had a Dodge Neon, one of the early Dodge Neons. You remember those? They were so ugly. They were kind of cool. Um, their little bubble lights and short and kind of wavy body. You know, anyways… um. Over the course of time, they proceeded to add on every gadget, every accessory known to man on this tiny little car. Now, these cars, I mean, I could get in there and, and maybe a bag of groceries. Like, they're tiny. But this thing had everything. It had a spare tire on the on the trunk, um, which was, you know, doubled the size instantly. It had a one of those limousine tele, uh, television antennas, the V-shaped ones on the back. It had an oil filter that stuck up out of the hood, racing stripes upon racing stripes, little tiny Dodge neon. It, it didn't do anything for the actual car; It just made it worse. It made it. I mean, it made. It, I mean, it took this car that already was kind of homely and just made it that much worse. And so, you know, that I use that analogy to to show you the gospel. When you start adding stuff to it, you just ruin it. You just mess it up. The gospel message, in and of itself, is perfection. God has executed a plan that He has set forth before creation to not only not only conquer sin and death, but to redeem us. God is not on a a, a fixing plan. He's on His plan. It fixes everything, but but it's it's from the beginning of time. He, this was His plan from the beginning. Adam and Eve did not sin, and then God had to change His plan. That was all part of the plan. How did he know to do that? I don't know. He's God. And somehow God both knew and and, and, and still went forward. And that's what makes him God and what, you know, I'm not God. So I'm going to let him deal with that part of the history. Galatians chapter 1 starts with Paul saying this. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself, alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Right off the bat, Paul says it. Transgression. This word, depending on the translation of the Bible you have, and they're all – a lot of them are really good there are some that aren't so great there are some that just mess up in and trying to be relevant they end up being irrelevant um but but things like the the new living translation the new international version the king james version the new king james version and the esv which i'm preaching out of uh, are all very good translations and and what i want to do to with you today is share the different ways it's been translated In those various books, not so that – because they don't contradict one another. What they do is they give us a a three-dimensional view of what Paul is talking about. And so in the ESV that I read out of, it's the word transgression. Um, In the King James Version, if you're reading that, it's the word fault. If you're reading the New American Standard, which is another really good translation, it's trespass. And if you're in the NIV today, which is one of the more popular versions of the Bible, it is just sin. Sin. And so we'd like to believe that when Jesus enters our life, we never mess up anymore. We're perfect, we're sinless, we're holy, we're done. Unfortunately, we have this battle. This is what Paul's been talking about uh, over the last couple of uh, uh, chapters. He deals a lot with this in in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapters 5 and 6. There's this great battle within us between our spirit and between our flesh. See, before Jesus stepped into the scene, our spirit was dead. So there was no real battle. The flesh was in charge and just did what it wanted. That was who we were. Our flesh was was the main uh, engine in which uh, we were powered. You know, we were driven by it. But then we meet Jesus one day, and the gospel message is preached, and we hear it, and we know that we are sinners we know that we have trespassed we know we are all these words that have been mentioned and that we need forgiveness we need somebody and jesus is that somebody and jesus forgives us he extends to us grace that we might put faith in his son so that we might be forgiven what that does is that that causes us to be born again when i first got saved when i was 12 years old and, and it took a while for for my salvation to stick. That's the way I like to put it. It's probably not theologically correct, but that's the way I like to look at it. It, I remember the pastor telling me I was born again. I was a born-again Christian. And from there on out, I would tell people, I'm a born-again Christian. The idea is that I was once dead, now I'm alive. But now that I'm alive spiritually, I have to be at work crucifying the flesh, which is still there. Now, the good news is that battle will come to an end one day. When we die, our flesh will die, and that will be the end of it. We will, we will go to be with Jesus, and he will be our God, and we will be his people, and sin will be done with completely. The flesh will be transformed, in corruption, or excuse me, uh, uh, corruption will put on incorruption, and, and it will be glorious and awesome. But from, from now until then, however many days, months, years that is, battle. We have to fight. We have to, we have to be busy allowing the spirit to be alive to crucify the flesh in our lives. Last week we talked about the, our desires and how we identify good desires and bad desires. Paul gave us this whole laundry list of things that were wrong and the whole list of things that are good. That the fruit of the spirit is things like love and peace and mercy and and steadfastness and faithfulness and 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 the works of the of the flesh are things like uh, sexual immorality and 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 lust and anger and rivalries and and drunkenness and these are the things that that people who are controlled by the flesh produce and for those who are who have the spirit in control what they produce and so this week Paul starts dealing with people who find themselves in the first category. They they are being controlled by the flesh, thus they are producing the works of the flesh. And so Christians are not beyond that. Christians still fall time to time. They still sin because there are battles where we lose. And the greater battle, the war has been won, but these battles are still raging. These battles are still happening. And there are times where those who are seemingly not so much losing will have to encourage those who are being defeated. And that's a really dangerous area. As I mentioned before, if pride is involved at all, that turns into conflict rather than helping. That turns into a a, a whole nother battle rather than bringing healing. So Paul is, is encouraging the... The person who is – he calls him the one who is spiritual. Now don't be fooled into, into thinking that this is somebody uh, who's into New Ageism or uh, you know various forms of just vague spirituality. Paul is talking about somebody who is infilled with the Holy Spirit because there are good spirits and there are bad spirits. There are clean spirits. That's the Holy Spirit. And then there are unclean spirits. There's the demonic and they can fill us too or influence us, or or oppress us, or drive us. And for those spirits, we don't want them. We, we rebuke them, we, we pray protection from them, and we, we battle with them, and we allow ourselves only to be infilled with the Holy Spirit, the pure spirit, the clean spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The the fault that we find ourselves in is rather than reading uh, Galatians chapter 5 and reading the works of the flesh, we read them as a list of do's and don'ts and we miss the heart of the issue. If we could just have a laundry list of things that we should and shouldn't do and we could complete that, I imagine that God would would have just done that rather than send his son to die on a cross for us. The, what Paul is conveying is not that there are things that we shouldn't do and, and should not do, and if we just do those things that are good, we'll be okay. If we do the wrong things, we're bad. What he's teaching us is that there's a heart that needs to be changed. The works of the flesh are occurring not because not because they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but because the flesh is in control. People are becoming sexually immoral not because because Jesus is allowing them to, but because the flesh is in control. And we need to identify our desires. Am I wanting something good, or am I wanting something It's not good for me. Is my desire indicative of who's controlling me or who's empowering me? And if it's not of the Holy Spirit, then we have to forsake it and crucify it and and, and speak against it and and ask forgiveness for it. And then ask the Lord to to drive us and and, and to, to be the one who produces in us the good fruit. Now, in this scripture, the idea is not you know, somebody who is who's in sin comes to an altar, says a simple prayer, then walks away the same as he did walking up. This is for somebody who has given their life to Jesus, but now has been caught off guard by sin. Whether they were they somehow ignorantly walked into sin, doing something they thought was okay, and then realized, oh man, this is not good. I'm in trouble. It's somebody who is who is trapped. It's somebody who who walked into something disguised as maybe good. And ended up with a trap on their foot. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a bear trap. you guys ever seen a bear trap? Those things are crazy. They're always rusty. And they're huge. And, 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 and I've only seen them in cartoons, but they look dangerous. Like if, those, if art is indicative of, of, of anything in reality, they just are nasty. And, and the thing about them, and in reality, the thing about them is that when you touch them, boom, they catch you. Before you know it, oh, I'm caught. And there are Christians who do that. These Christians in Galatia, they did that. False teachers came in, and before they knew it, clap! The trap was on their foot. And Paul's preaching and teaching and showing the, those who are in the church who are still healthy, who are still strong, who are, who are the ones questioning, wondering, why are we preaching Jesus? Why are we preaching everything else? He's telling them, this is how you're going to help your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're going to do it in a spirit of gentleness. You are going to be loving and kind when you go to them. You aren't going to go and smack them in the face with your Bible. You're not going to go in hypocrisy. You're not going to go and and preach to them that you are righteous and they are not. You are going to go to them in meekness. Meekness is not a lack of power. It's actually reserved power. It's someone who has the power to do something but decides to hold back. To be meek, not weak, meek. To choose love rather than wrath. To choose to to fix the situation or help the situation rather than just push somebody away. Have you ever noticed that when somebody does sin or we know that they're sinning or or just somehow they're caught off guard, they're trapped in it. Our first reaction is to just like yell at them tell them how wrong they are i mean it's it's not usually a a good motivation in our heart we just we want them just to stop but it's more than that we want to show them that we're right paul says we've got to be careful lest we're tempted to it's it's more than just being tempted to do the sin that they're doing it's it's that we would be tempted to sin in doing what is right we are going to talk to our brother or sister in christ and we want to share with them the right path versus the wrong path, but then we end up being hypocritical or or self-righteous. Now we're sinning. Now we are in folly just like them. And everybody's messed up and nobody's getting healed and nobody's being corrected and no one's walking in the newness of Jesus. Paul says, be careful, lest you are tempted as well. If If you are tempted to just look at... Uh, Galatians 5 and 19 through 21, the, the works of the flesh, and say, okay, I shouldn't be sexually immoral, check. I shouldn't be drunk, you know, drunk, check. And just look at it as a check mark of things that I should or should not do. I want to redirect you to Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, Matthew chapter 5 through verse, uh, excuse me, uh, through chapter 7 is what we call the, the Sermon on the Mount. Starts with the Beatitudes and then it works through with Jesus giving this. One of the most awesome sermons ever preached, and he begins to deal with the issues of the people. Now, now realize this: he starts with a large crowd, and then he starts to the crowd starts to not dwindle so much, but his attention and his focus begins to be on the twelve that are, are walking with him. He's he's telling them about God. He's telling them the difference between the law and faith. He's telling them. The difference between being religious and having a relationship with with himself, and he begins to deal with the issues that all men and all women deal with. The first is anger. I, I you know, we would probably consider the 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 sins that involve sex to be the most uh, heinous of sins, and I'm not saying that those aren't bad, but I am telling you that this that Jesus starts with anger that Jesus doesn't start i mean he he moves on to 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 lust but he begins with anger and i don't think that's by accident or by coincidence i believe that more of us here are in danger of being uh in the sin of of being angry for the wrong reasons maybe self-righteous anger or just anger that is unwarranted rather than sexual immorality and so so uh Jesus points out First in verse 21, you, you have heard it said to, uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable of judgment. So he's speaking to those who would read that scripture or read that command and say, okay, I'm not murdering, check, I'm good. But Jesus amplifies that. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable, of, uh, liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell a fire. Jesus says, "Your outward actions—they come after the intent of your heart. If your heart's filled with anger, but you 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 say all the right words, that you, you oh everything's fine, but inside you are you are wanting that person to be destroyed. You want revenge. You want retaliation. You want retribution. That you are." just as guilty he he increases if you will he shows us the 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 depravity of who we are showing us that that anger unbridled in the heart is just as detrimental as murder in the eyes of god then he moves to lust in, in matthew uh, 5 and 27 you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery So guys reading this would go, okay, I haven't cheated on my wife. Have not had a sexual relationship with anybody outside of my uh, my, uh, bride. And so check, I win. Jesus says this. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if you thought that maybe he's just being poetic or whatever... Verse 29 If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body and be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than for the whole body to go into hell. So, for husbands who maybe have not physically cheated on their wives, but have engaged in things like pornography, whether it be on the internet or in magazines, for men who look at women lustfully, for men who 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 let's just call it what it is they're they're adulterers in thought and they're adulterers in uh, they're adulterous in intent. Carrying it out is just the next step. You've you've already you've already messed up. You already found yourself in sin and in folly. Jesus cranks that up, and and I don't know too many men who are outside of this scripture here. It's not enough to just say, oh, I, I'm not adulterous because if our heart's not right we can be now as you read and i would just challenge you this week read the sermon on the mount go back to it it's one of my favorite chunks of scripture nobody nobody should be able to go into the sermon on the mount and be like yeah i'm doing all right i i nailed all those i i'm doing all right jesus is uh uh jesus is the best and i'm the best too and uh everything's all right when you read through if you can get past these first two you're lying. Let's just, put it, let's just be very blunt. If, if he can get through anger and lust, something's wrong, go back. But read through it. He deals with with divorce. He deals with uh, all, just all the sins that consume us as humans, whether we're male or female, old or young. But these are not things that will, as a Christian, separate you from Christ. The Bible says nothing will separate us from Christ. That even as Christians, we will sin and we'll do things like this. But that doesn't separate you from him. That doesn't scare God. I I got to read to my children this week, um, Mark chapter 5, I believe it is. Jesus means a a demon-possessed man. And uh, it was a great story. It was a long chunk of scripture. I thought they were going to bail, but they just loved the story. And I love the story. It's one of my favorite uh, accounts in the Bible. Jesus meets this man And he's just crazy. He's crazy because he's filled with with what the Bible calls an unclean spirit. He's demonically filled. He lives in the tombs. What are in tombs? Dead people. He lives in there. The whole town has tried to correct him. The whole town has tried to tackle him and chain him up. And he breaks through the chains. The chains, he's empowered by these demonic spirits so that he has great physical strength. And he walks around these tombs and he's naked because he's torn off all his clothes. It says that he, he has cut himself with stones to make himself bleed. So imagine, imagine yourself driving down one of these roads where there's a cemetery, looking off and seeing a naked man covered in dirt and blood, scars and open wounds and chains just out of his mind. Imagine that. You would not hang out there, would you? You would go through there really fast if you had to. And if there was a funeral, you'd pray that it would be at some other cemetery, not that one. Jesus meets this man one day. And everything changes for him. A lot of modern Christianity would say, that man's filled with a demon. You stay away from him. You go away from him. Jesus goes to him, rebukes the unclean spirit. That's where the, you know, where, I, I, my name is Legion, for I am many. He, they asked to be put into a herd of pigs. So Jesus allows them to go into a herd of pigs. They they go off a cliff into the, into, into the water and drown. It says, when the town people showed up and they found Jesus, they found him standing next to this man who was cleaned up, wearing clothes, in his right mind, worshiping Jesus. Jesus is not scared. See, this man did something. We don't know what he did. And it's my speculation at best, but my my understanding is that he did something that invited in these demons. That he did something that gave them permission into his life. And Jesus still went after him. Jesus still loved him. Jesus still cared enough for him to battle and get through and break the real chains that were around him. See, If you've fallen into sin today, if you're hearing the sermon thinking, I'm a sinner, here he goes again about being a sinner. It's not that you're just a sinner, it's that God's not afraid of your sin and he will come after you to rescue you from that sin. Whether it's lust or anger or this or that, that God will rescue you. And that because he's your child, he will not allow you to stay there. He will show you his goodness. He will rescue you because he loves you. When you stray from his flock, he will go after you. If you're the only one that has left the flock, he will go after you and save you. He loves you that much. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it see see there's 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 being saved which god is working god has done through jesus and then there's a lifestyle of salvation and so what we do now is we follow jesus we our salvation is secure in him and what he's done we don't add to it we don't take away from it jesus has accomplished what he has done on the cross it cannot be changed but now we have this life to live to be led by jesus and so if we sin that is wrong but god loves us and our job is not to sin and hope that god will forgive us our job is to repent to take his grace, to take his mercy, to invite him back into our lives, to, to, to forsake that which our heart desires and ask the Lord to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us to, to radically change whatever is causing us to want sin and then to allow ourselves to be corrected. You know, as, as Christians, this is the heart of being a family. See, we're a church, and what we're teaching the kids today and, and, and what we're, we plan on teaching them as they grow up is that church is more than just a building, it's a family. We're going to go apple picking, not because we all go to the same building on a Sunday, but because we're a family. We're going to enjoy meals and, and, and have weddings and baby dedications and even go to funerals together, not because we go to the same building on Sundays, but because we're a family. We're going to pray with one another because we're a family. And we're going to have to correct one another when the time comes because we're a family. But we're going to do so biblically. And here's a warning for you. What Paul is – who Paul is addressing is not the false teacher or, or, or the, 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 the world – so, because right now in our heads we can name off fifteen thousand people or things or places that are in sin. How could they do that? Our nation is this, and blah blah blah. A, yes, they need to hear the, they need to know the gospel message and, and be preached Jesus, right? But who Paul is addressing is not them. This is for us. Paul starts by saying, "Brothers," it's literally it, the word literally means brothers and sisters, those who are connected by Jesus. We're a family. This hope is for us. For the false teachers of the, of the book of Galatians who came in and messed up the gospel, this is not for them. You go through, they're to be cut out of your life. For people who come in with, with something mixed with Jesus, no, we don't accept that message. We, 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 we sever ties with that. But if we are a Christian who loves Jesus and we find ourselves in folly... Then we extend this type of mercy and grace. Then we say, you know what? My greatest goal is that Jesus would be high and lifted up. Not that I would be right, not that you would be wrong, but that we would together get you back on the path that walks alongside Jesus. And this is the heart that God is cultivating in us. Galatians 6 and 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He goes on to say, for anyone who thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Literally, what Paul is saying is that you're not so important that you can't help somebody. I've met people who have said, well, you know, that person needs help. Why don't you do something? Well, that's not my thing. What do you mean helping's not your thing? Well, yeah, that's not my thing. They need help. Go help them. God should be creating in us and cultivating us a desire to want to help. To see our brother and sister and say, you know what? Hey, they need help. I need to do something. Have you ever had somebody who seemingly had everything ask you for help? Isn't the most You'd be like, what? I can't help you. You got everything. I got nothing. How am I going to help you? There are ways to help even those who who seemingly have everything. Once had somebody who was very wealthy say they needed some help. And I thought, what am I going to do? Their car was in the shop. They needed a ride. Oh, I can do that. I can do that help you you can't do everything but you can do something and there should be a desire welling up in you through the holy spirit i just want to do something i can't take away all other problems but maybe maybe i can make them a meal you know i can't solve all their financial problems but maybe i can you know i can do, just do something for them maybe i can babysit for them maybe i can i can just give them money for gas or, or a gas card I can just help them in some way. They're in sin. Maybe I can offer them some encouragement and show them where they're wrong and, and, and where the Bible is right, where Jesus is right. Maybe I can show them how, how I've made the same mistakes. Or, or maybe that I have sinned just in a different direction or in a different flavor. There should be in us this desire to want to help people. Galatians six and four says this, but let each person, or excuse me, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. Paul is there's this wave we're riding here that Paul is preaching. We may have to correct other Christians. We're going to do so in a spirit of love. We're going to bear one another's burdens. We're going to want to help somebody know Jesus and and be, you know, get their foot out of that trap. We're not going to think we're so important that we can't help somebody. I mean, God does love us. He thinks a lot of us, but we're not so important we can't help people. And he says, verse 4, be careful that you don't go from helping somebody to comparing somebody, qualifying somebody. Comparing yourself to them, comparing them to others, unrighteous comparison between you and another person or another person and someone else will kill you and the relationship that you have with with whomever. Here's what I mean. I'm me, but I see this person over there, and they just seem to be so great. They've got everything together together. They they seem to just love Jesus more than people. They pray harder than most people. They're always reading their Bible. They just seem to have it all, and I want to be like them. That is unrighteous comparison. That is a recipe for disaster. That, at its best, is idol worship. You're worshiping a person. Now, if it's Jesus... Jesus is perfect. Jesus is holy. I want to be more like him. I want to love my enemies. I want to to give more than I can. I I just want to be like him. That's good. But when a person occupies that place, that's bad. Church, for every person you see who you think is hitting every mark, you don't see the battle behind the scenes. You don't see where they're messing up. You don't see their folly. You don't see their struggles. To compare yourself to them, you could be inspired by them. Oh, I saw them go through tragedy and now and now they're you know now they're going through triumph, they're defeated you know, nothing's really changed, but they're filled with joy. I want to be like that. That's okay. They're filled with joy always, and, and there is no trials, and I just want to be like them. That's worship. And that's a fine line, but we've got to be careful because because if we develop that mentality, we'll destroy ourselves. Christianity will become no more fun. It won't become fun anymore. Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus is is a daily thing, but following Jesus fills you with joy. That was was one of the fruits of the Spirit, that you would be filled with joy in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trial. Don't don't fall into that trap. Verse 5 says, For each of you will bear his own load, Best case scenario, both the spiritual, quote unquote, and those who are caught in the folly of sin, there's this conversation, there's love, there's respect, and, and the, the person who was in folly says, you know what, you're right, I shouldn't be doing that, that's wrong. And I could point to a thousand other people who are doing the same thing, but that doesn't change me. Because there's, you ever been accused of doing something? You're sinning. Yeah, what about them? What about that? Who are you? How dare you? You did this too. There are parents who are petrified of talking to their children about things like uh, premarital sex and drug use because they did it too. And they'll be hypocrites. Hey, man, you use what you got. If you're a hypocrite, start with that. I'm a hypocrite. It's still wrong. And, And this just makes me an expert at it. If you if you sinned a lot before you came to know Jesus, does that make you a hypocrite? Well, only if you are self-righteous, really. If you can go to your children and say, this is where I messed up. This is where I should not have done that. This is where God had to correct me. This is where I went through a lot of pain because of my stupid choices. Well, then God redeems that. God uses the the, the, the backstory of your life and the front to help people, especially people like your children. That's a, I can't think of a better way to use that. Best case scenario, you guys cry and have a muffin and drink some coffee. But worst case scenario, it's not going to end well. We are still called, the the one who is going and, and bringing the correction, we're still called to love. We're still called to 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 show them the right way. To not shy away from that. To not go after the the world who's not following Jesus. Because we tend to treat them with the soft hand, don't we? Well, you know. Be all politically correct with them and all that. And then with the church, we're like, Rargh! you said a swear word, I'm going to hit you in the head. Like, Maybe you can start talking about how that was your lifestyle and you had to change it because you weren't edifying Christ with your words anymore. For a really good example, just go, to, go look at how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and how Jesus dealt with the sinners, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. When it came to the Pharisees, those who were, who were who, they weren't living for God as much as they looked like they were. He dealt with them really harshly. But for those who were, he wasn't just eating with them, they were eating with him. He didn't just want to be with them. They wanted him there. For them, there was still correction, there was still rebuke, but there was love. Not for the Pharisees. Pharisees is spiritually kicking them in the forehead all day long but for the the sinner love to bring them from sin. And you see somebody like uh Mary who 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 sits at his feet and just weeps great tears and and it washes his feet. I want us all to pray you can start today by, by examining your own life, asking God questions you probably have been avoiding. What am I doing wrong? What should I be doing? Because if you are going to help somebody, it, it makes sense to get your house in order first, doesn't it? Before you go off trying to fix everybody else, you should start at home and fix that. So if the dichotomy of your home is messed up, the your wife is leading and you're just like whatever, and the kids are going nuts and, and, and you're not financially you know taking care of business and, and all of that, well then it starts there. Get your house in order. So that you might be prepared and healthy and strong. Whether it's sports, war, whatever, you don't first choice send off wounded warriors or wounded athletes you you let them come in and get healed some of you need to be healed before you can go out and do these types of things but what it amounts to be is not this long arduous time of i don't know when i'll be healed it's just recognizing there's some things i gotta fix there's some things i need to let the lord fix in me and i want today to be that day so that when we do have to go to one another not just pastor to congregation but i mean you guys going to one another you know, Laura going to Henry and saying, Henry, I, I saw something. I want to talk to you about it. Not accusing you, not judging you. I just I just saw something. And rather than gossip and rather than then then tell everybody else, I just want to come to you and have a conversation. Let's go get a cup of coffee and let's talk about this. That you can do that. That we can be healthy and strong and preach the gospel in a way that we're, we're we are we are healthy we're not there we're not perfect we haven't met that mark you know we sing the song you know you're not finished with me yet that's like a great statement (laughs) we still got a lot of ways to go but at least we're going in the right direction let's stand and pray this morning this will be done by no other person than jesus in your life There are no steps. There are no plans. There are no eight ways to this and, you know, read this book and a better you by Friday. There's there's none of that. It's just coming to Jesus in his word and saying, Lord, fix me, help me, show me, highlight things. I mean, just do everything for me. I surrender to you. Let's pray, Jesus. This is a hard word, Lord. We know you love us. We know you care for us. And even our own sin, whatever we find ourselves in as Christians, the folly or the the mistakes we might make, that they're not enough to scare you off or to to cause you to recoil at our sight or, or see us as unclean or dirty, Lord, that you love us. Father, our endeavor is to follow the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 that we would hear your words and follow them and be like the person who built their house on a good foundation, built on the rock of Christ Jesus. And I pray for each of us, Lord, for the things that we must be corrected of, that we would get our own houses in order individually, then in our marriages and in our homes, Lord. That we'd read your word and see what it is that we are to do and not to do. That we'd come to church and come to Bible study and that we would fellowship with one another, so that we can be corrected and rebuked and, and encouraged in these ways. I pray, Lord, that for those of us who who maybe today have heard this and realize, oh man, I'm in, I, I have that trap on my foot. I'm, I am stuck, Lord. Well, they'd find your mercy and grace, and if someone else comes to them and 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 shares with them in the spirit of kindness or in a a spirit of gentleness, Lord. That you would help those who are are coming in the spirit of gentleness not to be tempted as well. But there'd be reconciliation and love and redirection. And the exaltation of your son, Jesus. the, The lifting up of him. That he is our standard. He is our mark. He is our judge. And Jesus, you are a good, loving kind Savior and we thank you today for your grace in Jesus name we pray amen church the act of this word being preached to you is both an encouragement and a warning the the grace of God has entered in that you might accept it the grace is there for you to repent The grace is there for you to say, Lord, I am sorry for for my sin, for what I have done. For the Galatians, it was the sin of religion. It was the sin of of correcting or or trying to build up the gospel and forsaking Christ. And they've been called to repent of that. They were called to repent of that. If you're doing that, the Lord is calling you to repent of that as well. God does not does not need you to make his gospel more palatable. He does not need you to make it cool. He does not need you to make it more uh, politically correct. He just simply needs you to preach it. Jesus is God and became a man and died for my sins. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner, but we have a savior and his name is Jesus. And so I want to give you a chance to repent. And you can come to the altar or not. You can stay where you're at. Can I close our eyes for just a moment? And I'm going to ask, like I said earlier, I'm, I don't want to build up a church where, where all of you are on my back and I'm trying to run with you on my back. Where, where, where we're all infants in Christ. But I want all of us to be raised up in Christ so that we're all strong. That I can begin calling on you to to preach Bible studies and sermons and sing songs and, and lead others. It starts with repentance. Jesus we pray lord we pray for repentance lord and i pray um i pray a new prayer lord cuz we always we always pray for this we always ask for this and and i and there's seemingly very little response at least externally and uh you know the hearts of men you know them better than i do you know what's transpiring between you and them right now and i trust that lord but i'm asking for something new lord i'm asking that you would change how we see repentance that that first teaches it if we don't know what it is correct it if we've been taught it wrongly and make it a part of our everyday practice that it wouldn't be something we just do on sundays when i say something or or just something that's done when when we've done something wrong but that we would identify through your holy spirit see the things where we've where we've been trapped or in folly and that we would forsake it That we'd read things like the Sermon on the Mount. That we'd read things like the works of the flesh in in Galatians chapter 5. And we'd see, you know what, there are things that I desire that aren't right. And we need your help. The trap is too strong. Only you can set us free. And Jesus, we look forward to the glorious day where you return and you bring us out of this. That you bring us home and we're with you all the days of our lives. I thank you that you have saved us. And we give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.